This is Anthony Anarino, author of Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Anthony Anarino back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about his new book, Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition, published by Portfolio Penguin. Anthony Anarino is an international speaker, sales leader, and the author of The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need and The Lost Art of Closing. His blog, thesalesblog.com, is read by 60,000 people each month, and his Sunday newsletter, reaches 80,000 people. Anthony has continually been named one of the 25 most influential people in the world of sales and marketing. And interesting facts, he has a law degree and at one time was the lead singer for a hair metal band in LA. Anthony, congratulations on Eat Their Lunch and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. You know, I've wanted to come back on this show for a long time, but I had to write another book before you'd let me. And I think the bar that you set's very, very high. And if, if you do not write a new book, you don't come on the podcast. So thanks for having me back on. Well, and uh, you should know that there's going to be a special induction ceremony after the interview because we are going to induct you into a very exclusive club, which is the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. And who will, who will I be sharing that well, with? Well, you will be sharing it with, amongst others, the person who wrote the forward to your book, Jeb Blunt. He's been on three times. And David Merriman Scott, Mark Schaefer, Dory Clark, and a few others. So it's a, it's a very exclusive club, and it enables you to half-price drinks at uh, various watering holes in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> this is rarefied air. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. I should mention that I have had the opportunity to meet you in person at the Outbound Conference. I went to the very first one, and it was you and uh, Jeb Blunt and Mark Hunter and Mike Weinberg and, and a few others. And it is uh, phenomenal. It was an incredible. I couldn't believe it was the first time you all had done it. 
I'm actually coming back this April to the third one in Atlanta. Oh, did you miss the second one? I did. I wasn't able to get oh. to that one, but it's amazing. And of course, I like to say that I'm the only, probably the only person that's ever been to the inbound conference and the outbound <laughs> conference. You know, I swing both ways, Anthony. You, you might be. Yeah, you're, you're going to see a much bigger outbound. You're going to see a much, uh, I mean, and a lot of things didn't change. We still don't have an MC. We just have the voice of God come on. It's super fast paced, but it's gotten a lot bigger. Yeah, and your brother's a stand-up comedian. Is he going to be coming back? No, he's not coming back for this one. He's on the road. I see. It seems like it's doubling in size each time. I I don't know if I have the right numbers, but you've actually had to go to a different location now because it's going to be so big. Yeah, we've gone to the World Congress Center in Atlanta, and we've got the Georgia Ballroom, which is massive. It's a big, beautiful space and a great big stage. It's going to be amazing. That's terrific. Well, Speaking of Jeb Blunt, he wrote yet another barn burner of a foreword. He's written, what, 10 books? but he also 11, writes, I think. 11, and, he, and he's always working on one. But he also writes these phenomenal book forwards. Just the other day, I read Lee Saltz's new book, Sales Differentiation. Again, Jeb Blunt, he was there. And so what I'd like to do is read from one thing in the foreword he wrote for you. He talks about how he and you are in quote, violent agreement that the sales profession has gotten soft and that salespeople have lost their competitiveness. Far too many salespeople want the deal handed to them on a silver platter. As Anthony says, we moved from a generation of rainmakers to a new era of rain barrels who stare at the sky hoping that something might fall in. What's what's that all about? Can you say any more about that? <laughs> Jeb Jeb is just one of my closest friends. I mean, so we we are definitely, uh, as he describes it in the forward, we are definitely like brothers, and uh, we argue like brothers. We love each other like brothers. If it's Friday and he's coming home off of the road, my phone will ring and we will talk while he's driving home for uh, hours. And you try to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> No, I think it's a, it's a pretty even split, okay. but we do both of us do uh, tend to have a lot of words. But he he uh, read the post that I wrote uh, about rain barrels, and uh, he's like, "Man, I wish I would have thought of that. That's perfect. It's exactly right." And then he started using it, and it found its way into the forward. But uh, you mentioned the difference between inbound and outbound. And because there are now these social tools and because we can do content marketing and because we have a way for people to find us and reach us, people have now become more passive. And for the last decade, which I would describe as a lost decade, and I described it as a lost decade long before uh, people started to realize that what we were doing wasn't working, this idea of social selling, just connect with people, just try to be helpful, just be of service, don't ask for anything. And so the first rule of social selling is don't sell. Okay, so I'm conflicted when I hear social selling, don't sell, because you're hired to sell, your title is salesperson, and you have to sell. And that's what most of us do. But the idea of passively waiting has damaged sales results for companies. And the the voices that were uh, I'm going to say uh, one channel only. So this is only social. Give up cold calling. Give up asking for referrals. Give up networking. Do everything on the web. People believed that. They spent money trying to get their people to learn how to do this, and they have decimated pipelines. 
they're not reaching their goals. And people have been told, don't pick up the phone. And if you look at the research and you look at people like uh, our outbound sponsor, Outreach.io, I I looked at one of their sequences and campaigns out of 4,724 people out of 18,000 that replied, the first email garnered 15 replies. The first phone call, which was the second step in the sequence, ended up with 1,500 people having two-way communication. It's so over-indexes. Then they did a LinkedIn uh, request next, and they got 100 people to go two-way with them on a LinkedIn connection request. Uh, The phone still works, and the idea of the difference between a rainmaker who's going out into the world and making something happening or a rain barrel, somebody who's passively waiting for deals to come to them, has made it very, very difficult. And it, it is also, I believe, one of the causes of our lack of competitiveness. It's a very interesting paradigm that, that you set up there, and I could see why Jeb would be upset that he didn't think of the rain barrel versus rainmaker. Let me now quote from you and ask you to elaborate. This is from uh, the very beginning, and you say, much of what is contained in this book is easy to understand and difficult to execute. That said, Only charlatans sell the idea that you should be able to have what you want without real effort on your part. What lies between the covers of this book is the real work you have to do to create and win opportunities in clients that are presently held by your competitors. I offer no shortcuts, no tricks, and no easy answers. Instead, I offer you a strategy for increased effectiveness and results in trade for your effort. So, Anthony, you say this book is about how to live, thrive, and survive in a red ocean. Explain what you mean there. There's a a great book called Blue Ocean Strategy by a couple Harvard professors. And the idea of a blue ocean is that you go and innovate in such a way that you're Netflix or you're Uber or you're Airbnb, and you create a scenario where there is no alternative to you. There, There is nothing. There's Netflix. They own the space. And it's great because you have no competition, so your margins are higher, people beat a path to your door. It's a great situation. But most of us, and by most, I mean probably 98% of salespeople (laughs) happen to live in the part of the ocean that is uh, drenched in blood because it's full of sharks. It's super competitive. Your clients are trying to commoditize you. The only way out is differentiation, but the best differentiation you has does, does not create a blue ocean for you. And so it's important that you figure out how to live, thrive, and survive. And I think for a lot of people, they think about competitive uh, situations as, well, how do they compete and how do we compete? But the, the, the real truth of the matter is it's not about price. It's not about features and benefits. It's about value creation. And so the only type of blue ocean that you can carve out for yourself is I'm a greater value creator than this person. And as much as we want it to be, well, my company needs to win, so I have to work for the best company, or I need to have the best product, or I need to have the best pricing. None of those things is true. What's true is that the person who creates the greatest value and and who can help the customer get their strategic outcomes is the person that wins, even when all things are equal or even when you're inferior, as it turns out. And I want to talk about those four levels of value creation. But first, let's help people understand this issue of competition, because you write that before we can talk about displacing our competitors and eating their lunch. You need people to understand how they should be thinking about 
their competition. So in other words, it's not about taking a bloodthirsty, whatever it takes when it all costs approach to sales. In fact, you dispel those kind of notions. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, there's a, a a lot of people I see that they they put things on LinkedIn and a lot of people market with the idea of whatever it takes. Well, not whatever it takes. And and if it's illegal, don't do whatever it takes. If it's immoral, don't do whatever it takes. It's whatever it takes in the bounds of of real competition. You know, you don't watch a professional football game and hope that somebody does whatever it takes and tries to break the quarterback's arm. You know, there's there's a certain fair play that has to happen. And all of those kinds of concepts are a distraction from how we really compete. And so you're you're not a, I, I wrote this in the book, you're not a mafia, Don. You're not a warlord. You're not out to destroy your competition. You're trying to beat them on a fair playing field. So how do you do that? You play the game better than they play the game. That's how you win. So how do you play the game in a better way that differentiates you? And in that first uh, chapter, the introduction, there's a lot of reasons that clients move. The, uh, complacency is one of them. Apathy is one of them. Being taken for granted is one of them. Lack of new value creation is one of them. But ultimately, most of the time right now, people are willing to stay with the status quo because change is difficult, it's expensive, it takes time and resources, it means potentially disrupting the business. But the, re- the real way to start a competitive displacement is to go in and offer them a better future than what they have right now, which means greater value creation. So instead of being that rain barrel and waiting until somebody's dissatisfied enough to go through their box of business cards and pull yours out and call you and ask you to reply to an RFP, you have to show up and say, there's something better available to you. Here's how you should be thinking about this. And and that's what I'm driving towards in that first section. Yeah. And this is the part that since I've read your book, I can't stop talking about it to, to my colleagues and some of my friends who are in, in sales, but it also has such enormous implications for the the marketers out there, which is why I'm starting to think that I get more marketing ideas from reading sales books than I do from a lot of these marketing books because I read it with a slightly different lens and I see all the opportunities out there to help an organization with their sales from a marketing standpoint. Let's go to page 20 and I just want to introduce this one big concept. And if we only get time to talk about this it'll be worth it. You say the first third of this book is about developing and gaining relationships that allow you to capture mindshare and create a compelling case for change by leveraging the threats to the business that come from huge tectonic shifts that left unaddressed will eventually cause the business harm. If the needs left unaddressed by your competitor answer the what keeps you up at night question that you would ask the client, then the systemic threats provide you with the case for This is what should be keeping you up at night. And I can remember seeing you speak about that very thing, and that was one of the many things you and some of the others talk about that lodged in my subconscious and has not left. Just In other words, this is what you should be concerned about based on our experience with companies similar to yours. So can you explain the four levels of value creation? Because that, for me, was one of the biggest concepts that's just so enormously helpful. And it's uh, it's interesting to me that this showed up in book three for me only because I felt like I had to put the only sales guide first because that's who you are. And then 
the second book, The Lost Art of Closing, that is, you know, how you sell. And I think you needed that structure before you get to this concept, because this concept is a big concept. But what I've done is I've taken something and I've drawn some boxes in a way that allows people to immediately see the type of value they're creating and differentiate it from greater value. Mm -hmm. So the first level of value is just the value in your product. And when we were making markets, so I'm going to go back to the industrial revolution, it was about the product itself. It was about the automobile or the refrigerator. It was about features and benefits. And then as things got more complicated, features and benefits and advantages. But as we started to produce things and sell things, the second level of value starts to emerge. And that's, I need service and I need support. I need the experience to be different. So mm -hmm. that's the second level of value. And these are um, not mutually exclusive. So you you add to level one service and support. Now you have level two. Right. So it's you almost as if level things. one is over on the left and then you're just adding these to the right. That's right. Or you could think of it as a circle with the product in the middle and then service and support around it. Mm -hmm. But each level transcends and includes the level before it. Right. So right. You, you, you're bigger, but you also still have that piece that came before it. Level three means, can you get me a result? And let's say that you're a, a 3PL. The result is, can you move this box from point A to point B? Uh, so, so that is the the idea of level three. Can you get me a tangible outcome, a return on my investment? Does this actually work? But level four is something beyond any of those other three levels, even though you still want all the other three levels. You want all of them. I want to be clear about that because I've had people say, so I don't need to worry about level one. No, you need to worry very much that your product works and that you have good <laughs> service and support and that people, you know, they get the results that they need. But level four says, uh, not can I get the box from point A to point B, but is that the box that if it shows up at the customer's location, that they get a better outcome for from us? So let's say what I'm sending is a package that's going to cause somebody to go out to the web and sign up to be my customer. The signing up to be my customer is the strategic outcome. I would not send the box. And I, I wrote this in the first book about Theodore Levitt, the marketing professor from Harvard, who said people don't buy drills, they buy quarter-inch holes. Mm -hmm. And and I thought about that for a long time, and it's right. They're trying to buy an outcome, but the hole is level three. Telling them that they need a hole and on what wall they need to place that hole and why that hole is going to help them have a better future than they have right now, that's level four. So it's the strategic conversation around this. And what it does is it gives a context for all of the conversations that you have about the product or about the service or about the outcomes. And when you want to compel change and you decide to come in from the left, I want to come in with product, you look like a commodity. Mm -hmm. When you come in from the right, so you're coming in at level four, now you're talking about why is my future not going to be what I want it to be? Or why am I struggling now? Help me understand this world so I can do something to get a better result here. And that's the general framework for the whole book is how do you execute a level four strategy where now I can come in and compel change and cause people to say, you know, this partner has been a great partner for us for 10 years, but we probably, our needs have probably outgrown them. And now I need to do something different. Yes. And that's a great analogy where you say, you need a whole. Yeah. First, they need to believe they need a hole. You know, so when you're in a competitive displacement, they don't believe they need to do something different. Right. I already have somebody that does what you do, or at least close enough that it looks like that. So that that's the first conversation we have to have. And you're coming at it 
completely differently because otherwise you're going to hear, oh, we already have a supplier or we already use those. We're comfortable. We don't want to get pushed off our complacency couch. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the Marketing Book Podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive, seriously, I've met many of you and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success and you enjoy learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial. But there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now, back to the show. You also write that displacing your competitors starts by developing mindshare. So explain that. Yeah, I, I've always loved the concept of wallet share. How, how much money do they spend in my category and how much do I get? It's a great measurement of how much preference you really have. So if I have 100% wallet share, then I've got a strong preference. They're not looking at anybody else. They're not doing anything with anybody else. That's great. But what I've recognized is that the thing that precedes the wallet share is mind share. So who owns the way the customer thinks about the problem? And that's what you want. You want them to say, and, and I've described it this way, if you imagine that the client's looking through a lens at their business in the business landscape, whoever controls that lens controls how they're viewing 
their situation, their business, their market, their challenges, their opportunities. So what you want to start with is just moving that lens out of the way and showing them a different lens. A lens that says, let me give you greater clarity as to what's going on in the world right now. Let me give you greater clarity as to what's probably going to be necessary or at least some of the challenges and questions you're going to need to ask in the future to be able to generate better results. And what I'm trying to do is capture their imagination and their view. And I'm trying to shape that by helping them understand how to think about these things. And there's only two things. You've heard me say this, Doug. There's only Mm -hmm. two things you need to be a trusted advisor. You need trust. And you need advice. Right. And, and, and it's a two-part recipe. You need both parts. So this is when you start shaping people's thinking, you're saying this is the kind of advice. This is what you should be looking at. This is how you should be viewing it. This is why you're having these problems. And so where you've said earlier in this conversation, I tend to learn as much or more from sales books as marketing books. Uh, the sales books now are a lot of how to help capture people's thinking because we're trying to compel them to change. And one thing uh, you and I had a conversation about Seth Godin's work and this is marketing. I asked him the question about, could we swap out sales for marketing? And in his view, sales is one-to-one and marketing is really one-to-many. But the concepts that we're using now to help people understand why they have to change should be something that's done by marketing, but mostly isn't. And what I would I would challenge your listeners here who care deeply about marketing is, is the content level one? Is it a spec sheet? Is it features and benefits? Is it level two? Does it talk about service and support and what the experience is like to work with us? Are we easy to do business with? This is why you should buy. Is it level three? And I would tell you so far, the stacks are getting smaller as we talk, right? Um, right? So they're, they're, the content is sl- smaller. We might have a case study or white paper, but then are you really doing level four where you're giving people, this is why change? Because that's the heart of a competitive displacement. And honestly, it's the heart of anything you do when you sell. You're offering somebody the opportunity to change in some way. Whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whatever you sell, you're reaching in to some part of that person and saying, there's something better that you could become here. And I'm offering you a chance to do that. Marketers have not been asked to come in at level four and help shape uh, Mindshare until recently. But there are some organizations that are good at it. So the more as a, around how do I educate, how do I teach, how do I show the why change, the better the marketing content. And in your book, you mentioned the Challenger Customer, which was is just one of my favorite books. And they talk quite a bit about using these insights to help these prospects understand they need a hole in the wall. And also, it seems like that if a lot of marketers – you know, good marketers who are trying to guide their organizations in terms of the content they should be doing and all the more effective approaches. And they're trying to explain why, yes, you need a product sheet. <laughs> okay. And we'll, we'll get you that. But you also need even more of this other kind of content, like level four. They can then hold up a book by Anthony Anarino and say, look, this isn't some marketing book. <laughs> this is a sales book telling us that's how to do it. It just seems like that would be so much easier and, and more persuasive for the marketing people to do because there are still a lot of people in the business world who probably don't understand marketing. And their mindset may be that marketers are arts and crafts party planners who work in the make it pretty department. 
I don't think you're too far off there. I, I have seen brilliant marketing departments, though, that as soon as I walked into the room, I've, I've been blown away at how effectively they've built all of their marketing content around the meaning and purpose of the organizations and the people that they serve. And uh, one in particular, I don't want to say anybody's name here because I don't have uh, any kind of permission to share. But one, I walked in and they had so much level four content. They hired me to speak specifically because they understood that that was my view and they were already way, way out in front of their organization. Oh, that is great to hear. And you know, it reminds me back to Jeb Blunt. Don't worry, we're going to talk mainly about Anthony Arino here, but we are going to talk about Jeb Blunt. And he said that he gets so many business opportunities from marketing people. In other words, mm-hmm. the, so probably some of these same kind of folks that you deal with who are really very effective, very successful marketers, they're determining, you know, we actually have this marketing machine working pretty well, but we're putting all our leads into a, a dated, ineffective a sales process that's not working as, as effectively as it could. So, Anthony, I said your brother's a comedian. You're also a pretty funny guy, I've noticed, when I've seen you speak, and I wanted to read from one part of the book that actually made me laugh out loud. And I know you weren't trying to make me laugh, but it had to do with a concept I've heard. Again, I've heard you talk about this where you say opening is the new closing. In other words, you know, outreach is very much more important than people they realize. They put so much emphasis on the closing. And what I want to do is read from this one part about how so many companies are reaching out to people. And I, I'm getting these kind of pitches pretty much every every day. And I want to read it. And then I want you to unpack it, as you say, because it's a very small paragraph. But then you go on for a couple pages to explain why it's such a problem. And then I'll, and then I'll read what people should be doing. So you say, hi, this is Anthony Anarino, and I'm with XYZ Widgets, the leading manufacturer of widgets. I'd like to stop by and introduce myself and my company and learn a little bit about you and your company. Does Tuesday at 1 p.m. work or is Wednesday at 10 a.m. better? Anthony Anarino, explain to us what, what's, what's, what's the problem here? What are the problems? I, I refuse to explain that until you promise to send me the clip of you saying that on audio. I just have to have a copy of that. I'm going to embed it now in my slide deck. And instead of me saying it, I'm going to have you do it in that announcer voice that you just used so brilliantly because now I'm laughing. <laughs> my, my pleasure. But I, I just read this and thought, oh, my God. And you know, maybe, Anthony, I was laughing to keep from crying. So the value prop here for the customer is, so you're going to talk about you. That's great. <laughs> And then you're going to talk about your company, which is no different than any other widget company. And I know that already. And then you're going to come and ask me what's keeping me up at night, like 11,000 people have done before me, because you've done no research. You don't really have anything strategic to offer. So I'm a hard no, Doug, because I need to wash my hair at that exact time that you mentioned. Yeah. And and people don't realize, because this is an audio-only podcast, you have a shaved head. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, but I am definitely busy for both of those times that you named doing something, anything else (laughs) other than meeting with you. Because the, the, this concept was first in the law start of closing. You have to trade enough value, uh, in exchange for someone's time. And time is everyone's single, finite, non renewable resource. So if I spend it with you and you waste my time, I can't get that time back. So the reason that clients are stingy is because they hear that pitch and they think, 
all right, that doesn't do anything for me. So I have to say no. And people are like, why are they so difficult to get time with? Well, they're probably not. You're just not offering them enough value that they can say yes uh, with a straight face. You know, I th- I'm going to set up a, a, a template in my CRM and all my software. When I get these kind of pitches, I'm going to send them an automated message with a link to your website, Mike Weinberg's, Mark Hunter's, and Jeb Blunt's, and say, these kind of companies might be able to help you. Just pick yeah. one, and they'll point you in the right direction. So instead, based apart on what we've been talking about, this is the better approach. Good morning. This is Anthony Anarino with XYZ Widgets. I'm calling you today to ask for a 20-minute meeting where I can share with you an executive briefing about four trends that will have the biggest impact on manufacturers in the next 18 to 24 months. I'll also provide you with the questions we are answering for our clients so you can share them with your management team there at AAA. What do you look like Thursday for a 20-minute briefing? So there, you're not saying, I want to find out what's keeping you up. It's, again, back to what I remember hearing you say, this is what you should be losing sleep over. That, that's right. And so what I'm offering is value. And, you know, you can also end that by saying, if even if there's not a next step, you know, this is going to be value creating for you. And you are going to ask different questions after you see this. And I'm also interested in hearing your view on some of these things, because I hope you're meeting with someone that cares about the issues and has enough authority and enough influence to do something. But what we're doing is we're trading enough value. Look, even if I don't sell you anything, you're still better off after the 20 minutes because you're looking at what's going on in my world. How are people thinking about it? What are the questions we should be asking? What are other people doing about these things? And if you're an executive, so the one thing that executives fear more than anything is not knowing something. Their job is to be responsible. I mean, a leader's job is to be responsible for guiding the people in their charge and the organization into the future. So they have to be looking around corners. What comes next? So the one thing that they fear most of all is not knowing what comes next and then being exposed for not being thoughtful and forward thinking enough to see what was coming and to take advantage of those opportunities or avoid the challenges as best they can. When we start talking about mindshare, what we're doing is shaping their thinking around these so that we can help them see the better future that's available. And so they don't get ambushed by some event or some shift that causes them not to be able to generate the results they need or the results that they want in the future. So what I'm trying to do here is teach people to trade enough value to get the meeting and then to walk in with the kind of insights and the kind of ideas and the kinds of experiences that people benefit from hearing. And not to keep beating this dead horse, but I I would like to talk a bit more about this approach of the the discovery. So and, and why you know sales requires a, a a different approach now. So in the past, discovery meant asking your clients about the areas where they were dissatisfied, and you do talk quite a bit about why this does doesn't work. And and when I get this kind of pitch, it's like, yes, let me just uh, roll my sleeve up and pick at that scab some more. Why is there this growing discovery fatigue? The thing that we've done with social selling for, I don't know, let's call it 30 years, something close to 30 years now, is we've come in and we've tried to find uh, dissatisfaction. So if people are dissatisfied, they have a compelling reason to change. So we go in and we say, Doug, what's keeping you up at night? Doug, what's keeping you up at night? What's got your attention? Where are you struggling right now? And 
And that's not value creating. I already know where I'm struggling. I've already talked to other people about it. You're coming in and you're going over the same ground. And it means you don't really have the second part of the trusted advisor equation. Mm -hmm. What do you know that I don't know? What should I be struggling with? Maybe I think I'm getting a good result and I'm not. And there's a better result available to me. But you certainly don't know anything. I had a guy who called me every quarter for 20 years in staffing and asked me, uh, just call him to check in and see if anything's changed in your world. Mm. Over 20 years, do you think anything changed in my world? Everything changed in my world, but he didn't notice what was going on in the world, and he didn't have a theory about why I should be doing something different. And and it doesn't make sense to show up as a know-nothing who's going to try to elicit something that they can attach a solution to. The, the thing that we do in sales is we help people make changes to their business to help them produce better results. It's the change that's important. And I, w- I was looking. I don't know how many times the word change shows up in this book or the last one. It's so lot. much about change. It's one of my favorite It's so topics. much about change. Yeah. And speaking of that, this is the 30th, this year is the 30th anniversary of Neil Rackham's best-selling book, Spin Selling, that you mentioned in your book. Can you talk about the power of helping prospects understand the implications of not changing. And again, enormous implications here for marketers and marketing content. That book to me, I read that book came out in 1988. It's out 30 years now. It's been uh, always the number one book McGraw-Hill has ever published. It's still in hardcover. You can still go to Barnes and Noble and it's still on their shelves. That, That by itself is an extraordinary success for a book. When I read it, uh, I was looking for answers. I was trying to become a better salesperson. And the three pages before you get to the actual spin model of situation questions, problem questions, implication questions, and need payoff questions is where Rackham talked about the advance and that there are a series of commitments that people gain. That means they don't go to the final close. That was my second book, The Lost Art of Closing. It was what do the advances look like? What does it really look like to close in a modern B2B complex sale? The implications was probably the area where, for some reason at that time, I picked it up. And I walked around uh, like it was – do you watch Walking Dead? No. Okay, there's a character named Negan, and he's got a baseball bat that he carries around. Implications was like a baseball bat I was carrying around. I would ask clients, what happens if you don't change? What happens if this doesn't get better? What happens if you don't do something about this now? And they're like, wow, he's really hyped up about what goes wrong, you know? And I was. And you were probably the only ones that they were hearing it from. Yeah, and, and the implications are so important. So the thing is, we live in a world of constant, accelerating, disruptive change. I walk out of uh, the airplane in JFK. I get a Starbucks at baggage claim because that's how much the world has changed. You can't get out of a plane without getting a Starbucks before you get into your Uber. The Uber line is flying by, and I have to walk by the taxis to get there. And in every one of the windows on the taxi cabs, it says, we have an app. And I'm like, <laughs> you're late. You you could have had an app before anybody. You could have organized this. But the implications of not changing are now uh, existential. And I would tell you, you're starting to see companies like GE fall out of the Dow and I would have never guessed that GE would ever fall out of the Dow, but it's it, it fell out and it's replaced by Adobe or somebody. It's the world continues to change, and it's what uh, Eric Shinseki, the G- U.S. general, said, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. 
So if you want to help people change, you have to go and make that case because the status quo is the status quo now for a shorter period of time and the implications of not changing are too great. So if you want to be a trusted advisor, you have to be the person that comes in and says, I, I think there's a reason for you to change now. Uh, Doug, you cannot be the trusted advisor, though, if you come in and say, man, that looks like that hurts a lot. You probably shouldn't do that. Like, what, Well, where were you before I did it? You know, I need... You're supposed to be advising me ahead of these things, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what we're we're working towards with this content. Yes. So I've got to ask you just a couple of fun questions, and one of them is: What do you say to people, perhaps in your renowned workshops, when they suggest that human beings make only rational, objective <laughs> decisions based on evidence? And I'm looking at you, engineers out there. Go ahead. That's so funny. I, I mean, the story that I tell in that part of the book is an absolute true story. Uh, it's a client Mike Weinberg had me speak to. And it, there was an Italian gentleman who who said to me, well, people only make rational, logical decisions. He's an engineer. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't say that in the book, but I had a feeling. No, he's an engineer. Yeah. And, he, he, and I, I said, so tell me about the spreadsheet you used to evaluate the, the, the range of choices that you were considering when you asked your wife to marry you. Please tell me he didn't have a spreadsheet. No, he did okay. He did not have a spreadsheet, but he did tell me uh, he didn't uh, ask her. She chose him. And I said, so wow. she had a spreadsheet. And, uh, and he said, no, he didn't think that she had a spreadsheet. Uh, and I said, so she was being completely irrational and going on something other than this. Anyway, we had this long argument with everyone around him laughing and me making an even bigger joke out of it than I was willing to make in the book because the the content is a little bit edgy, but we had all had a really good laugh at his expense. And then we went to lunch and he went and he walked by me with this sandwich. And he said, I really should not be eating this sandwich. I'm on the paleo diet, but I just really want to eat this bread. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very logical or rational to me. And I thought we only made logical and rational decisions. We don't. We make emotional decisions. And all these things uh, in the the last half of the book about creating a preference, about being a peer, about being a trusted advisor, of being consultative, all these things and the experience that you're giving people when you sell to them and when you work with them, that that is what creates a preference. And it's not just the logical, rational stuff. It's who do I want on my team? Who do I trust? Who's giving me those ideas? Who do I count on? It's so much more than that. You know, there's another part in the book where you talk about how more often than not, you don't need to be targeting the CEO of a company. Explain what you mean when you talk about the need to target the CEO of the problem. You know, if you were to call a CEO, like maybe you call uh, Bezos from Amazon, Mm -hmm. and you say, you know, I have this thing that we could do to help you produce better results. Uh, He's not interested. And, and And it's not that you don't have something that's worth the company's time or attention, but he has people that he's hired in marketing who he he counts on to make good decisions around marketing. And there's a person in a marketing department, and it's probably not the chief marketing officer either. There's some director over this particular platform or whatever they do that cares deeply about the results that you can produce. They're the one that Bezos holds responsible for doing something about that. And and that's the person who you really need is the person who's charged with getting a better result in that area. And I think we we missed this because for a long time we were taught, go to the highest level up in the company you can find and let them push you down. Mm-hmm. 
they, they're not interested in pushing you down. They're not interested in you at all. And they've hired people that they count on to help them run a good business. So you're looking for the person who cares the most about the result that you can produce. And it could be the director of operations uh, in the Kansas City facility. You know, it, it, it is not, though, the CEO. It's not likely to be the CEO or the CFO or CMO, except in rare exceptions where those things happen to be true. And you're, you really do need to get to the CFO to, to have a conversation because the concept is so big, it's going to require their attention. I just want people to break through the idea of I, I need to get to the C-level to, to have a conversation with the company. You don't. You need to find somebody who cares about what you do. And then you need to know, I need to work up and get some executive support. And I need to work down and get the support of the people that work inside the company. Because if they're going to execute what we're talking about, I need to make sure that they're on board and that uh, we can get to yes and then help them execute. Again, this has such great implications and guidance for marketing people because I see a lot of companies struggling with their content and, 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 and who they should be targeting. And if someone in the conference room would just say, who owns the problem that you guys really solve? It saves them a lot of time and money by saying, oh, okay, I see. We really don't need to be targeting procurement officers. <laughs> we should be targeting right. the person who's, who's the, uh, the end user here. So, Anthony, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope that they would try to buy it in uh, giant boxes of 24 or 36. That would be great. Very good. You know, always ask for the sale. <laughs> very, very well done. Uh, but, just, but for I'm people, teasing. I know, but, but for people who would have read it, let's say. For, for people who would have read the book, I would want them to walk away with a deep understanding of, I understand what level four value creation is. I, I understand that my job now is to help capture Mindshare. I understand discovery now is four quadrants. What do they believe about their problem and what are their values? What are they actually doing? What is the culture doing? What kind of problem are they having? And what is the problem where their strategy or what they're doing is rubbing up against the world? And then how do I manage all these complex relationships in such a way that makes me a trusted advisor and consultative and a peer? Amen, amen, amen. And this is such a terrific book for obviously salespeople, but marketing people to read. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? And I should say, I've asked that of a few other authors, and they've mentioned your book. So you definitely got the buzz going here. My uh, my friend Amy Franco's got a book called The Modern Seller. She's a, a Columbus uh uh, native here too. And, and her book, Sell More and Increase Your Impact in the New Sales Economy, uh, is a book that I'm anxiously awaiting. And I uh, just picked up a book by Robert Greene, uh, who you're probably familiar with. Um, he wrote the book about power? Yeah, that's right, 48 Laws of Power. He wrote a book called The Laws of Human Nature. And oh. uh, I'm, I'm excited to read that one because He's one of these, he's what I would call a synthesizer. So these are not original concepts mostly in his books, but it's a look over history as how these things manifest in, in a way that allows you to think about the application. So I like books like that, and he's a great writer. Yes, and he is a mentor to Ryan Holiday, who has he, become a, a yes. bestseller. And and Ryan Holiday follows uh, Robert Greene's exact framework for writing books, which is a giant stack of index cards with different quotes all under themes and all organized so they can go back and bring everything that they know 
and read into the books that they write. So yeah, very, very compelling work. Oh, that's interesting. I appreciate you mentioning uh, both of those. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your third book? Best place to go is thesalesblog.com. And uh, for the book, you can go to etherlunchbook.com. Oh, terrific. So we'll include links to your the, the sites, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter handle uh, in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast and you're not driving, uh, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes. I'd like to read uh, just one more excerpt from your book. If you've read this far, I know something about you. You're the kind of person who cares about their personal and professional development. You want to arm yourself with the mindset, skill sets, and toolkits to create a competitive advantage and do your best work. Competitive displacements are not easy to pull off, but because you have read this book and are putting it to work, you will succeed where others fail, and you will acquire new clients that are presently being served albeit not as well as they should be, by your competitors. The name of the book is Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition. The author is Anthony Anarino. Anthony, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks so much for doing what you do, Doug. You're such a great interviewer, and I really appreciate it. And that closes the book on episode 199 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And make sure to say subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast because we've got a very very special guest joining us next time for the 200th episode. Special thanks to our sponsor Blinkist to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.